Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers and today, listeners, we are joined by a gentleman named Mike Berry. Mike, share with us who you are and what you do. Thank you very much, Kieran. Uh, yes, it's Mike Berry and I am a digital marketing lecturer, trainer, author, sometime consultant, and I could probably have put digital in brackets because I also teach and train in strategic marketing more broadly. So a lot of different things, and I work at a lot of different places, and although I'm UK-based, I travel a lot, and I love my mixed-up life. <laughs> and you have done so many things. Like I was trying to like summarize like what you've done. So I'd like to do that in an intro. And I couldn't for you. Like just just tell us a little bit more about your your because you're much more than the trainer. Like you've done the doing, and you you've worked for some really really big companies. I'm not really a proper anything. If you go through those things we just said, I'm not a full time academic. So you know I have colleagues who've been in academia all their long lives and. Of, uh, are famous researchers and have published loads of papers. I've written books, but I haven't written academic papers. Uh, equally, I'm not a practicing digital marketer, so I can't say I'm, I'm promoting a particular company and I'm not hands-on with the, the tools every single day. Equally, I work in different places and in my career, I've worked in a lot of different uh, organizations, starting at Procter & Gamble and then big, mainly U.S. advertising agencies during the last years of the last century, and in direct marketing and integrated marketing above the line, so-called advertising, and also recently, most recently, in digital marketing. And I was really just waiting for digital to be invented. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't, if it had if I'd been 20 years younger, I'd have just gone straight into digital, I think. It was uh, absolutely made for me. And the combination of psychology and selling things and the, the analytical numerical side of it as well, mixed with creativity, I think it's a great a great mix of different activities. And also digital, of course, is so interesting because it's changing all the time. Yeah. So as I say, I like the ability to go and do different things, meet lots of interesting people, travel and keep on learning, which, of course, we all have to do. Well, that's certainly how you've cropped up in my life. I got very excited when Daniel got in touch to say, I want you to interview Mike Berry. I'm like, oh, my God, Mike Berry, that's like, that's, 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 that's huge. And I, I wasn't even that sure how I knew you. You're just sort of omnipresent in my social media feeds. Well, I'll, I'll take I, that as a compliment. Yeah. No, it definitely <laughs> is. No, it really is. It's like, wow. You know, you, you sort of, you, you cover so many things. You, you're constantly cropping up on things that I kind of keep an eye on and what have you. Now, the idea was we were going to, I thought we were going to talk about the four Ps which is always a, a, a fun topic. But you blew me out of the water and said, no, you're going to talk about the three Ps. Which are, we need to explore this. What do you mean, the three Ps, Mike? Uh, yes. Uh, if I were to talk about the four Ps, maybe half the audience would roll their eyes. Yeah. And I would say, oh, not that old stuff. We did that in my business studies degree. Or uh, the younger members of the audience might say, yeah, Mike Berry's taught me that and I'm completely sick of it now. <laughs> so let's let's just, for the people that don't know what it is, what are the four yes. Ps? Shall let's we start, start there? The real start one, there. shall yeah, we? Yeah, the proper yeah. one. The four Ps, which was a model invented by a guy called Jerome McCarthy in 1960, and I'm sure people will remember it, product, price, 
place and promotion, the famous four P's of marketing, also called the marketing mix. And although Jerome McCarthy was the originator in 1960, I think it's probably most associated with the person I would call the grand old man of marketing strategy, i.e. Philip Kotler, the American professor, who I'm glad to say is still alive and still active. And in all his many editions of his books, he has promoted the four Ps as being what marketers, i.e. us, what we should be doing. And just to go through them, if I could, Kieran, yeah, yeah. what product could be a physical, tangible product or also an intangible service product. So, you know, if you are Deloitte or EY or Accenture, your product is your consultants and their brain power at an appropriate hourly rate. You know, that's that's the product, that's the service. And most of my career before being what I am now, freelance trainer and academic, was in big ad agencies. So we were selling our people's expertise and our planners brain power and our creative people's whizzy ideas, some of which are very hard to put a value on. But you know, all of those are products, just like the packets of Ariel and Daz and Bold that I was first selling in my P&G graduate trainee days. That's a product as well, that's a physical product, and we still have both. Of course, we now also have online products, You know, so you're buying software online, you are paying for it, you're getting something that is a product. It may not be a tangible one. So they're all products. Price is kind of self-explanatory and price is perhaps neglected, particularly in marketing circles, as just being what we charge for it. And in B2B, price is always negotiable in my experience, or at least there's, there's always an attempt by the buyer to negotiate <laughs> price. You know, we love everything you're saying and we would love to work with you. However, yeah, our well. budget doesn't quite stretch to that. I wonder if there's any sort of scope for a bit of a deal here, yeah, etc. Yeah. How often Sharp, have we... sh Sharpen our pencils. <laughs> yes. How often have we heard that? How often have we said that as being the buyer? Yeah. Uh, so then uh, price, of course, and pricing strategy is is a separate discipline, really. And for consumer marketing, you set a price. And in most countries, that is the price that people will pay or they won't pay it. So, you know, clearly, if you get the price too high, you're going to kill off demand. If you get it too low, you may be leaving money on the table. Some people would gladly pay more. So, you know, this is not the time for a, a short lecture on pricing strategy. But, you know, it is it is a complex thing. Uh, however, the third P is not really a P at all. That's D for distribution in my book. So the, of the four P's, we've got price and product, yeah. Place, as it's called, is talking about the product being available for the customer to buy at the appropriate location, which sounds pretty blindingly obvious, doesn't it? In other words... You're doing wonderful advertising. You've driven the consumer into Tesco. They're on the shelf. They're at the fixture looking for their bold, and it's yeah. not there because yeah. uh, the junior salesperson like Mike Berry unfortunately messed up the order, and it's <laughs> full of Persil from the lovely Unilever instead. So the customer who needs to wash their clothes just buys Persil or, or Tesco-owned label. So you've lost the sale even though everything else was right and possibly lost that customer forever. So that's the third P, which is really not a P, it's distribution. Which brings us to the fourth P, which is promotion. So in the original model, the four Ps of marketing, P means promotion. Promotion's got all sorts of overtones, at least in the English language, hasn't it? Deals, money off, competitions, collector schemes, short-term offers. In other words, an extra benefit offer. Actually, that's what we used to call sales promotion. 
in the 20th century. And there were sales promotion agencies, you know, people that just did that and bought a million beach balls from the Far East and sold them to Texaco for a certain price and made a nice markup on it. You know, that was the, uh, the, the interesting strategic world of sales promotion, which doesn't really exist in so many words anymore. But also promotion is the wrong word for the four Ps because it does have those connotations. And it was never meant to be that. It was meant to be MC, marketing communications. So our four Ps have now kind of reduced to two Ps, a D and an MC. Which I think is very catchy. <laughs> it does sound yes. like some sort yes. of rap band. I think we should we should write a book about that, Kieran. Two Ps, a D and an MC. Yeah. Yes, the DMC and yeah. two Ps. Yes. I feel like I feel like we're almost getting down with the kids. With that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, <laughs> the whole thing we were saying about the three Ps is that we kind of lost them. As marketers, we are kind of relegated, if you can call it that, to the MC bit, the fourth P. And, you know, many marketing directors out there or CMOs will be saying, yeah, but you know what resources I've got? I'm struggling even to do all the marketing communications. Don't have enough people, don't have enough hours in the day. You want me to start worrying about the pricing or actually getting the product to the customer? So I think we can understand how this has happened. But I've got a deeper concern for marketing, which I've worked in all my life, that it is relegated away from the top table because we are seen as the colouring in department. Just give us some evidence of that. Just just expand on that a little bit. Because I, I agree, but I feel we should qualify that statement. Well, someone told me the other day, I haven't checked the number, that these days only 15% of the heads of marketing in major companies in most European countries, 15, one, five, are actually on the board of that company. Now, you know, we know that boards mean different things in different organizations and who can say that everyone on the board is very, very influential. But the same person told me that 10 years ago, it was near 45%, now down to 15. So that would suggest, and it's not a very scientific analysis, but it would suggest that it kind of is borne out by other things that I've seen and people I've spoken to, that marketing is seen at least by the the finance director and the managing director, i.e. the CFO and the CEO, marketing is seen as being a little less important than what they do and what other people in the organization do. You know, you can even have the head of HR on the board, the head of manufacturing, the head of sales, but marketing is still seen as people in the back room that do the ads or that <laughs> generate the publicity. You know, and it's it's not kind of respected as being a senior management function, which mm. I, I think is a mistake and it's a loss. But it means that marketing is becoming less influential, which uh, I think should be resisted. Mm. So why do you think this has happened? How have the four P's been sort of walk, watered down or rather marketing's reach on them been, been watered down? Yeah, I think that marketers have not been sufficiently outspoken on issues of product and price in particular. If you think about the product, you know, uh, there's an old saying that good companies don't produce a load of products and then try and flog them to someone. Rather, they talk to the people and try and understand what they might want and then build a product. So, you know, that's that's what we as marketers believe, that we should be responding to customer wants and needs. On the other hand, we haven't really done that. You know, we've said, okay, I'll go into this company. What do you make? Okay, yes, it looks good. How much shall I charge for it? Okay. So my job is what? Oh, yes, generate demand. So give me 10 million pounds and I'll find some way of spending it, which helps to get the tills ringing and you'll shift some. So in other words, uh, uh, it becomes a sales job. It becomes something of a short-term job and hardly a strategic job. And of course, digital has 
complicated everything <laughs> in a good way. You know, digital has changed a lot of things in, in pretty much every sector of industry, including in marketing. So the marketers have been kind of distracted for the last 10 years by digital, saying, okay, we've got to understand digital now. We've got to hire digital people. We've got to integrate the digital team with the offline team. And all of that seems to take marketing further and further away from the other three Ps. I, I think you're right. I think when you look at the, the digital landscape, certainly digital marketing landscape, you know, marketing communications is a huge part of that. You know, we've all become obsessed with content content marketing, which yes. is just it's just marketing communications in another form in, in, in many respects. Well certainly that that's how it can be can be seen. What's your view on this? Yeah, so I, I certainly believe that we need content and you know good content is necessary in every channel including those old offline channels which by the way we still have you know we still have tv newspapers magazines direct mail point of sale material a lot of it is less and a lot of it is changing uh, but the way i see the future is that the digital and the offline world are, are blending together and yeah i, th I think that uh, what we will see is hopefully a newer role for marketing as being the people who are the champions of the customer. And that should affect all the P's and in fact, the whole organization. And there should be someone in the board meeting who's saying, well, yes, we can do this, but the customers are not going to like it. Or yeah, that would be great for three of our personas who we've been targeting for the last five years. In other words, have the voice of the customer heard in the boardroom and who is the best person to represent that customer that's going to be the cmo so he or he or she should be there as the champion not only of the customer but of the marketing function and you could even say that really all companies should be marketing companies all ceos should understand marketing and it doesn't mean they have to do it but they should know enough to hire a really good cmo is that not the problem though with digital that that we become that little bit more removed from our customers you know especially when you're focusing on mark, mass marketing communications you know how much direct communication do we actually get from from the audience and actually how, how much you know detailed market research is is still done well that's that's a really interesting and and separate issue isn't it really because analysts in the broader sense should be the people that really understand data and data itself is a very broad term isn't it i was just thinking today when i was teaching that actually data is quite a bad word i'm sure there are languages that have two or three different words to mean something that in english we we all call data for instance your personal data that you are holding about your customers on your data management platform that's about individuals identified individuals your google analytics data is anonymized but still really really useful but we call them both data. There's a third category of intelligence, of information, and that's qualitative and quantitative research. We had that forever as well, focus groups, depth interviews, telephone surveys. And you know sometimes you have a name associated with it, but there are also restrictions on using that data under market research guidelines and also now GDPR. So all of those three things are all called data, and they're all very different. So I actually think that there is a role for data people, data experts, whether we call them insights managers or whether they are data scientists or whatever else, who can guide the marketing activity. And I think if we get that right, marketers will resume the role of being closest to the customer and, and being the representatives of the customer because someone has to do it. And I wouldn't necessarily look to finance or senior management.
I mean, they've got their own jobs, very important jobs to do. Like, you know, the CEO has to coordinate everyone and finance has to decide what to spend the money on. And I think it is a good discipline that the CMO has to go and make the pitch. You know, how much money do you want this year, Mrs. CMO? Well, I'd like this much. Oh, yeah. And what makes you think we're going to give you that? Well, this is what you gave me last year. And that's what I did with it. If you come bearing data and analytics, you have a chance that the CFO and his or her colleagues will say, yeah, actually, you've done a good job. It seems to have worked. We might have a bit more of that. Try again, you know. Otherwise, it's a data-free conversation, and yeah. it's just a matter of did you like the ads last year? Let's do some more. <laughs> so how do we go about reclaiming RPs in marketing and, and getting more respect for what we do? Yes, good question. I, I think we have to be a little more interested in the other P's. So in other words, marketers have to start saying, well, this product is selling quite well. You know, what would really sell better is if we put this on, you know, so-called uh, measuring the values of the features and benefits of a product. And this is an, an area there's been quite a lot of research into. And the, 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 the pricing strategy guys call it conjoint analysis. So, for instance, if I add this feature to my mobile phone, you know, if you're a manufacturer, it'll cost us, but actually the customer won't particularly value it, and they certainly don't want to pay another $100 for it. So let's not add that one. On the other hand, there's this factor, which is actually something unexpected, which our techie guys have come up with, which actually is unique at the moment, and all the research we've done shows that customers would really value it. And the secret is that it's not very expensive for us to build in. So in other words, marketing can have a real input into product, and in that case, price as well. So if we build this in, we can do it fairly cheaply, but it's worth an extra 200 quid on the price because we believe the customers will go for it. And then, of course, there's a matter of testing it and doing research pre and post and finding out whether you dare to do this. But, you know, a lot of marketers wouldn't be that proactive. A lot of them would say, okay, well, when you've decided on the new product, just let us know because we'll need to do a launch campaign. And they're just waiting there to be told what they have to sell. So we reap what we sow is what you're saying. Yes, I, I yeah. think so. But, you know, there's always a new harvest yes. to, extend, yeah. to extend the metaphor a bit yeah. longer. <laughs> Maybe the seasons will change and we'll come to a new golden age for marketing. I hope so. I hope everyone listening is going to start planting more seeds and like using use your skills to push the envelope and be that champion of the customer. Understand the customer. Use the data. Fight for those budgets because you can do it. Yeah, and definitely use the data because if you're going to criticize marketing within organizations, it would be that our heads are in the clouds and we're not realistic. And, you know, if it's a B2B company, the sales guys will have a view of marketing, not always very flattering. You know, and I've seen from my own career, marketing and sales getting along very, very well and also the opposite. And often that comes from the leaders of those departments. So in the best B2B organizations, there's a mutual respect. And marketing has a appreciation that the sale has to be done, particularly with high ticket B2B items, ultimately by a skilled individual. And sales also know that marketing can help by generating qualified leads and making the most of their valuable time. But that's the ideal situation of mutual respect. I think we've all seen different situations where the two, come, the two parties are sometimes not getting along as well as we'd wish. I, I just think people need to wake up and recognize they're all on the same team and that we are actually all there to support the customer 
ultimately because it's the customer the customer in my view is the is the biggest stakeholder that pays for everything that's exactly what the, the ceo should be saying cfo nodding by her side yes you you've got it that's exactly it and i think a lot of companies do get this and it comes down to people you know you you can cause rifts within companies just by having leaders who don't get everyone working together and it's so so destructive within organizations and you know market forces normally ensure that those companies don't do particularly well so the companies who thrive are the ones that are a team built on respect and also can see that marketing is changing just like all other parts of industry every sector and we have more information potentially about our customers than ever before hence the need for skilled data analysts insights managers data scientists people that can see the wood for the trees and i tell all my students if you know anything about maths you will realize that analytics is probably easier than you thought and a lot of senior managers are terrified of it yeah. you can be the expert seize the day and yeah. i hope some of them will because we need good analysts we definitely do. We definitely do. Now, Mike, you have written another book. Yeah, a very good book, a digital marketing fundamentals book. Obviously, that's, that's the name of it. Tell us a little bit about this book. And I know a lot of the things that we've been discussing are covered in that book in great detail. But tell us a little bit more about the book, how it came about, because it's not... Digital marketing fundamentals from strategy to ROI. So that's yeah. about it. We didn't call it from soup to nuts. That would be a, <laughs> that would be a cliche, but... Uh, I, I wrote this book with two Dutch co-authors, and that was an interesting experience. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, well, yeah. We didn't really know. We made it up as we went along. <laughs> Marjolein Visser and Berent Sikenga, and they are both digital experts. Marjolein is a lecturer, academic, and Berent is the director of e-commerce at Lego Netherlands. So he's a real practitioner and he's doing this stuff and his team is doing this stuff day in, day out. So he's a very hands-on expert. Luckily for me, they both speak English. They had written a book a bit like this some years ago, but in Dutch. <laughs> and I don't speak Dutch. And right. I didn't think it was necessarily a good use of my time to learn Dutch for no. this project <laughs> unless I could speed learn. And to be honest, I had so many other things to learn at the same time. So they spoke English and I spoke English and we worked together. So what they got me with the help of uh, some third party was a loose translation of their original book. And that was my raw material, which was not quite ready for publishing, <laughs> shall we say. So apart from turning it into current English, English business, actually international English, we made a few concessions to Americanisms. But the other thing, of course, was this was a Dutch book written for the Dutch market, and all the case studies were Dutch companies. <clears throat> Philips was okay. ING Bank. In other words, there were a few retailers and companies that were international and we retained them but a lot of the examples had to be replaced so that was another of my jobs and of course we had to make sure that the appropriate chapters had the right cases so i had to scour case studies international award-winning case studies from around the world and write them up and put them in the appropriate place and where do you go to get your case studies and this fascinates me because we're always after case studies. It's always great to get examples of best practice. But how do you go about right. finding well, them? Well, if you really 
research me, you will find I've previously written two books of case studies with colleagues from Estonia who also speak very good English, Estonia being a small country in the Baltic states, one of the Baltic states. Uh, so I can answer on behalf of all those, those three books, in fact. We talk to people who are happy to talk. <laughs> so there's no point calling Apple and say, will you please tell us about your latest campaign? <laughs> what was the ROI? Yeah. Come on, Tim Cook. <laughs> no, no, just tell us, okay? Uh, it'll just only be in the book. It won't. Yeah, we need to know. We've got a yeah, book exactly. to write. Come on, spill the beans. Uh, sorry, our readers need the information. Come on, <laughs> Tim. No, they won't tell you. And they won't even give you any materials. And it will be viewed as being proprietary information. It's completely up to them. You know, why should they tell you? So we, to cut a long story short, target award-winning digital marketing cases. Because if they've entered awards, they must be happy to talk about it. And to win award, you have to give some results. So I remember from my own agency career, obviously agencies love winning awards. A client once said to me, Mike, we'll do it for you lot, for you guys, because you know, you've worked hard for us and, and we like you, but it's gonna help your business much more than it helps ours. Which actually is hard to argue with, isn't it? Because if an agency wins a lot of awards, they become a hot agency, particularly creative people value awards. They want to go somewhere where they can win an award and that's good for their book and good for their personal brand. So awards are something that clients tolerate. But I've known clients get into it, you know, the dinner at the Dorchester and the gold <laughs> award and all that stuff. You know, in a difficult, stressful life, it can yeah, be about a little, a little bit of golden glitter. Exactly. Out. You've got yeah. to enjoy the good times while, while, <laughs> when they happen. So that's what we did. And there were a lot of cases in the common, in the public domain. The problem, of course, is results. What are you going to actually find out? You know, as I say to students, ROI is what everyone is trying to reach to, to, to arrive at. Sometimes you don't know. And even more often, you do have a good idea, but you're certainly not telling anyone outside the company. <laughs> so, you know, even the ones that win awards, you've got things like, well, it was 120% of target. You know, the, the campaign outpulled the previous campaign by a factor of three. But it's things like that. But as far as possible, we have tried to choose examples that A, we thought were cool and had good creative ideas, B, were beautifully executed, and C, appear to have moved the needle on the business. And in your experience, are the more interesting case studies that the more successful marketers? Are they out there, like, you know, getting fully involved with the full four piece? In some cases, more than others. And of course, uh, there are some industries where marketers can control the product a lot more than others. You know, if you are a marketer at Coca-Cola, I guess you might have an opinion on the new sugar-free variant or what should we do with the packaging on Coke Zero. So you might have that input, but you're probably not going to change the formulation of the drink. You know, there are people paid to do that, and there are scientists in, in the labs that are working on new tastes and things like that. But if it's financial services, say, and you're looking at a savings product, wouldn't marketing have a valid point of view as to what customers would want the product to be called? You know, is it Cash Builder Plus? Is it 25 year treasure chest, et cetera, et cetera? In other words, some of these products are actually quite flexible. And you could say that marketing are the best people to understand what the customer would actually buy and why don't we create a product that they want rather than forcing one onto them so uh, you know i would say that it varies a lot 
And the best companies will let marketing have a voice about product and indeed price. You know, you can have a range of different products, for instance, at different prices to cover different personas. And who knows about segmentation and personas? That should be marketing as well. Fantastic. Well, Mike, you've written the book. Why should we buy it? What's in it for us? Come on, pitch it to us, sell it to us. Well, it certainly does address this issue of reclaiming the other three Ps. It's very much about marketers stepping up, marketers making their voice heard, and of course, marketing evolving to be increasingly relevant in, in the modern world. And we call the book Digital Marketing Fundamentals. Because basically, if you don't have the word digital in, people don't think it includes digital <laughs> at the moment. It's, it's so it's, true, it's isn't it? Like, I'm, I'm uh, not it, even convinced that digital is a thing. Like it's, it's like a false construct. It's just marketing. But increasingly, it, it, it will be exactly that, I think. And, you know, you can take bets as to how long digital has got as a, se- as a separate term. You know, and, you know, seriously, there are people with digital in their job title who are actually saying, well, I think I should just be the chief marketing officer yeah trouble is there might already be someone who's called that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what about digital agencies i don't see so many of them around now no no, and digital as a term to distinguish from non-digital for instance training can you sell courses which don't include digital so so the book's out now it's got a very fetching and this caught my eye like it's got a very fetching Good. kind of rainbow QR code on the front. Which uh, yes, we agonised about that. I can tell you, yeah. <laughs> a lot of phone calls between London and Amsterdam over that QR. <laughs> does it does it link to anything? Uh, no, I scan it. It's, I can't scan it. It's, it's creative. Oh, <laughs> unquote. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, it is a very nice uh, package. I think you know it's a clouded market. There are plenty of books around. I would say this is the first digital marketing book to be truly holistic, and it does really promote the four P's, which we believe, all three of us believe that Jerome McCarthy got it right. And Kotler has been right to promote the four P's. Someone invented another three, by the way, but let's not be distracted by that. <laughs> I think four P's is enough for anyone. I'm, uh, I'm still hooked on two P's, a D and an MC. I yes. just think, it's got I just think everyone's got it. it wrong. Like This is where that starts. <laughs> yes, okay. Well, it starts here. However many P's, you know, the, the idea is to look at the whole marketing mix and for marketing to be more than just channels and more than just tactics and marketing to step up and be truly strategic, which it certainly can and should be. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking no, the time to come and come and chat with us. We'll make sure, guys, there'll be a link to, to Mike's book in the show notes. And, thank and you very much. The, the web page for, the, for this episode. And uh, if we want to find out any more about yourself and your work and what you do, where do we go? What do we do? You can find me on LinkedIn. You can also find MikeBerryAssociates.com, my website, or follow me on Twitter. And I'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much for listening to the Digital Marketing Podcast. If you want to continue your learning in digital marketing, get over to targetinternet.com and sign up for the free trial of our digital marketing e-learning platform. There's over 140 bite-sized courses for you to try and lots of other learning resources as well. So get on there and sign up for the free trial.